Welcome to the Bridging the Generation podcast. I'm your host, Malak Arif, and today I got another special treat for y'all. My next guest is by way of Jacksonville, Florida. He's been putting it down to the game since 1978, coming on the scene with Reverend James Cleveland and his group, The Modulations. Uh, Since then, he has collaborated artists such as uh, Norman Connors, uh, Dionne Warwick. I mean, it's a long list. He's known for hits such as uh, Show Me, uh, I've Been Searching, Nobody Like You, Here We Go Again, uh, We've Only Just Begun, The Romance Is Not Over, Stay. I mean, this brother has classics on classics. So with all that being said, it's an honor and a pleasure to introduce the one, the only, the velvet voice, Mr. Glenn Jones. Let's go. Jones, well, brother, it's, it's going as well as uh, can be expected. You know, just trying to stay safe and uh, just trying to uh, just mentally, you know, just keep it together. You know, it's kind of crazy because uh, you know I'm so used to uh, working and traveling. I've been doing that ever since I was a kid. But I'm I'm blessed, man. I'm good. I'm no good. doubt. So so with this this whole COVID nineteen Corona, how has that affected you? in any way man you know um i uh i love doing what i do you know like i said i've been doing it uh ever since i was you know a kid like i started singing when i was like six seven years old and uh, i even got the opportunity to start traveling you know early on i sang with a gospel group from jacksonville florida hold on hold on, hold on. Let, let me stop you for a second hey, hey glenn if you don't well, mind me calling you glenn Hey, hey we gonna get yeah, yeah. You moving a little too fast. <laughs> Let me slow okay, that. Hey, hey. <laughs> well, I'm used to doing that, man. Cause sometimes you know what, you know what. So interviews, you know, people be, you know, like they be so laid back, and it's like they don't really know how to lead the interview and where to go, particularly where I, got I want you. to go. So I, I, just, I got you. Hey, hey so Glenn, I got you. I got you. Because okay, we gonna go. Hey, this is gonna be one of the smoothest interviews you ever had. I'm telling you, brother, because I'm 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 a diehard fan of your work. A lot of okay. people have you. A lot of people know the name. Oh, I want to have Glenn Jones on here, and they, but they don't know the the, the catalog. Like they don't you know do their saying? homework. Though, man. They, they don't, don't do their homework. You talking about yeah. somebody who's thirty years of doing yeah. the homework? Like I, okay. I, you know, so so this is different. So so I look, you, I want to hey, again. I'm gonna let you drive. I'm gonna let you drive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it because okay. again, man, I'm I'm a fan of your work and, and it's an honor to have you on here. So I just I, I love to start off asking like how are you you know like mentally and, and as far as you know this whole pandemic. I just want to just know how you how are you maintaining okay. during this time? Okay, well, start from the beginning. Start from what's going on today, and then we gonna take it back to the beginning. Okay. Okay. Uh. Dealing with the pandemic has been, you know, difficult, man, because, um, 
you're so isolated and, you know, just even being able to deal with my peers and stuff, hanging out with them, you know, being at the studio, maybe going over to one of my guys, you know, uh, lab, you know, and working on some music. So been kind of isolated from that. I've still been, you know, working on a few things, but uh, from a remote situation, you know, you know how technology is now, you know, somebody can send you a track, you do your thing on it and you send it back. It's been that kind of thing. Yeah, no doubt. Kind of like how we doing now. Like this, this probably would never been able to happen um, right. 20, 25 years ago. So yeah, you're right, brother. Um, mm-hmm. So look, that's that's good to hear, man. Like you, you look well. Like I said, man, I'm I'm very surprised, bro. I'm I'm very surprised, brother, how young you are, man. Like I had no idea that you was as young as you are. Like singing the type of songs that you were singing back then, it seemed like. You know, you you were like a grown man child. <laughs> hey, hey, when I was you didn't, you didn't look it, you didn't look it, but it just like you had this very mature voice and range, man. So you know, yeah. I'm surprised. Well, when I was a kid and I used to sing, they used to call me the little boy with the big voice. So you know, yeah. <laughs> so look, speaking of being a little kid, man, let's take it back. So you from Jacksonville. So tell me yeah. a little bit about growing up in Jacksonville, because to my knowledge, man, you are the first artist that I know from Jacksonville, Florida, to my knowledge. Yeah. Duval, man. And um, it was uh, it was, you know, it was cool. I mean, you know, I had a, a life, you know, uh, that consistent that consisted of church. You know, my mother was uh, was a missionary and an evangelist. So that meant that every time the church door swung open, that mean I was going to be there, you know. We I know that's right. <laughs> yeah, we, we went to church on Saturday, man. We were Sabbath, we Sabbath keepers, you know, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, um, Pentecostal. Mm, very strict, very strict. Yeah, 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 imagine that. So, uh, you know, I grew up in the church, and that's where I really got my uh, my opportunity to start, you know, pursuing my music, you know, just being in church singing, singing in whatever choir, and uh, you know, learning how to play guitar. You know, the people at church were very patient, and they would allow me to, you know, ping, ping, ping on the guitar until I started learning some things. You know, and uh, that's uh, that's where it all started for me. And I came from a family of nine. You know, uh, mm-hmm. seven boys and two girls, and I was the baby boy. You know, so life was good. You know, you know, the baby gets. You know perks. You know, you know how that is. But uh, you was the you was the youngest. You was the youngest. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So, so, a, so, so. Look, I, my bad. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead, brother. No, I, I was just gonna say I had a lot of brothers and sisters, man. You know. Okay. So, so look. When did you realize, man? Like, I can sing. Not only do I like to sing, but man, I have this very unique voice. You know, because there's a difference between being able to sing and being able to sing with a very unique tone and voice, man. When did you realize that? Man, look, I realized early. I realized from the first time I saw Michael Jackson on the Ed Sullivan show. Because we were like, we were, we were the same age. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look at this. Look at this dude, man. Look at this cat. And then I, you know, I just started singing, you know, you know, in the bathroom, wherever. And I finally went to my mother and said, Mom, I can sing. Mm. Reason I don't know if she had heard me, you know, uh, uh, you know, practicing or whatever. And I went to her 
And the next thing I know, she was um, convincing my pastor to let me sing. So she used to take me to church conventions and stuff. So it was early, man, five, six years old. Now, but again, the second part, Glenn, when did you realize, like, my voice is special? Okay, I, I you just mentioned you saw Michael Jackson on the Ed Sullivan show. I like singing. But when did you realize, like, man, my voice is different? Like, you have, the, to me, you have this, 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 your voice is like butter on toast, man. It's, it's, it's these gospel infused vocals, like man. And it's, and, and I heard this even early on. Um, when you were in, in, in the group that we're about to get into next, like when did you realize, like, I have something special? I realized that, man, when uh, once the pastor started letting me sing in church and the people would be clapping and shouting and hollering, man. I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, there was another singer that came along. Uh, uh, his name was, um, what's his name? Uh, he did the song, If You Let Me Make Love To You. Uh, I know his name so well. I don't know why I can't think of it right now. But um, uh, it was around that time, man, you know, and- uh, He passed I, away, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I forgot who you did. He passed away, he died of- um, I'm gonna think of it before I get off of this, yeah. uh, before I get off this yeah. call. And um, I just, uh, from that point, man, I, I started uh, writing songs when I was 14 years old. Okay. And uh, I even got a, I got records, man, that I went in the studio when I was 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. I got recordings right now. Wow. So I recorded records in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, at a, at a, at a, at a uh, recording, um, a recording place called uh, uh, Nashville Records. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, because I saw in the group from Jacksonville. I was actually the youngest in the group, but I was the lead singer. So talk about that. That's what we about to get into. So again, of course, my knowledge of you starts with your solo career. But as I dig deep, yeah. I realized that you sung with a group called The Modulation. Now, this wasn't your first group. Now, talk about uh, you entering The Modulations and your relationship uh, with the late, uh, great uh, James Cleveland. Right. Uh, well, actually, I started the modulations uh, 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 through the support of my family. I, my brother, my older brother, Louis Jones, and my oldest brother, Luther Jones Jr., they were the ones that, uh, you know, they supported me, man. They uh, believed in me. They invested in me. You know, we bought instruments and we bought a, a van, a Dodge 12-passenger uh, van, you know, and we used to rehearse <laughs> in my brother's garage. You know, and uh, they would drive me and my group, man, to different places, you know, uh, across the country, whether it was Chicago or Detroit or Philly. They would take me and they would line up uh, different programs for me to sing on. And the thing about it is that I knew a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, you know, gospel quartet singers by being on the road with them. I mean, by the time I was, by the time I was 13 years old, I had been from Florida toured all the way out to California with the Mighty Clouds of Joy and the Five <laughs> Blind Boys and all those people, man. You wow. know, and uh, that 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 really opened up things for me and it made me realize what I wanted to be. I knew I was going to be a singer. I knew I was going to do this uh, for my life and for right. my living, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so you're now you're, you're, you, you, you created the group with the modulations. So how did you come to the attention of uh, uh, the late Reverend uh, James Cleveland? Well, uh, a good friend of mine who actually uh, helped my brother manage, uh, manage my group because uh, my brother, you know, he had a full-time job, job, you know, he was a longshoreman and uh, my friend, you know, was really in the, in the, in the business, you know, uh, in gospel. And he knew Reverend Cleveland. So we drove out to California to do some shows at some churches. And uh, he flew out there. His name is Ben Middleton. And the flight that he was on, James Cleveland was on the same flight. So he told James about me and my group. And when we got there, James had invited us to come over to his house. You know, so this was like, you know, James was like one of the biggest gospel singers, you know, in the world. You know, this the world living in in Hollywood Hills and stuff, (laughs) man. And he invited us over. We yeah. got around the piano man and start. He started playing and told me to sing this and sing that. And the next thing I know, he was calling uh, the rec- this record label called Savoy Records, that was based in uh, New Jersey. Okay, Elizabeth, New Jersey, and told them, "Look, I want you to send a contract because I'm getting ready to sign this boy Glenn Jones." You know. And days later, I was in 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 in, in uh, RPM. Ray Charles' studio recording wow. an album. Yeah, in Ray Charles' so, studio, man. Wow, wow. So what was it like? So you dropped 1978, you dropped uh, the first album, Made Up uh, uh, Made Up My Mind, with the, yeah. with the Made Up Mind. And one thing I noticed, man, like you were the, like you said, you were the youngest member in the group, but you wrote the majority, if not damn near all of the songs. And some of the songs, my favorite, my favorite song on there is He Didn't Have to Do It. That was what that was like. And the title track. Oh, man. But, what, but again, so talk about that. What was that? What was that like being the lead singer, being a child? Because you was like 16. Yeah, yeah. Being a yeah. kid, being a being a, a child lead singer in a group of, of grown men. You know, overseen by Reverend James Cleveland. What tell me about that experience? What was that like? Well, you know, the songs that we recorded on that album, I, I did write most of them. And uh not realizing that I was gonna get an opportunity to do an album that soon. I mm-hmm. would just, you know, once I started um learning how to write songs, I would just write, you know, I just stack them up and pile them up. Man, I, I used to have two cassette recorders. Right. I would play guitar and sing on one and then I play it back and push the other one you know into record and harmonize with myself. So I probably had like these tenth generational tip generation songs, you know, where I just kept going back and forth recording, learning how right. to sing harmonies and stuff like that, you know? <coughs> Excuse me. It was great, wow. man. It was it was great. So I'm I'm again, but you you did you you're a kid. Like you're literally a kid and you're a lead singer in a group. Like I always wanted to ask an artist such as your caliber, how what is that like? Like, you know. It it, it was great, man, because um, you know, even earlier than that, you know, being younger, you know, when I was really, you know, uh, in my adolescent years, I was still the the uh lead singer of the group. Okay. You know, I was the guy that stood out front that had you know, I had my little, you know, I had my little uh, 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 speeches and stuff that I would say, you know, I would right. talk to the audience uh, back in those days, you know, they would send you to the radio station 
you know, so you could talk about, you know, the show being there and what you were going to do. So I'm a little kid in, 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 a, in, a, in a radio studio with Joe Lagan, you know, from the Mighty Clouds and, and mm. from the Violineers. And they all around the mic talking trash because that's what quartets do, you know. Yeah, we gonna kill y'all. We gonna we gonna you know we gonna we gonna kick y'all up and hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Even in gospel, yeah, man, yeah, 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 yeah. You know they used to talk trash, and I, they, you know, they would tell me to step up the mic and say what I'm gonna, what I gotta say, you know. So, I mean, it was just, it was different, man. I had my little sermonettes that I used to do. I don't know if you ever been to a quartet show, but. Uh, it's a very dramatic, you know, dramatic kind of thing. And they put together their little sermons and all that. And I had that, you know, I had to put together my little lines and uh That's what's up. I you know, I had to be a front man. Yeah. So 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 here we are, you know. Um you 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 you're here, you're traveling all over the country and you're on Savoy Records, man. And and one thing I noticed about you, man, again, you had this very distinctive voice, man, that just really just you know it, it resonated with people i can only imagine you know how it you know how it resonated with just whoever saw you and you know perform live so you know you yeah. you, you did a, you dropped another album uh the field of uh the fire with savoy records and then you end up leaving so how come you end up uh you know what what led to your exit um from savoy records well uh they weren't really um they weren't really uh, marketing and promoting my records like they should have, you know. And at the time, I uh, I got management, new management, and uh, around that time, I had met Norman Collins. Mm. Yeah, he was getting ready to do. Let's get record. into it. Let's get into yeah. it. Let's go. That melancholy file. Talk about that, man. <laughs> that, that's the first R&B record I ever did, you know, because. Uh, uh, at the time, I had a manager named Louise West, who was an entertainment lawyer, and she was friends with Norman. And uh, she played my gospel for Norman, and Norman was like, wow, you know. So uh, they flew me up to DC. I met Norman, and he was telling me he was getting ready to do a new project uh, called Table to Limit. And he had this song called Melancholy Fire, and he needed a male singer. He flew me out, he flew me out to Cali. So I didn't go in the studio right away, man. I had, a, you know, like, maybe five or six days before I went in. And I was just okay. really nervous. I was scared to make that transition. You know, cause now, time I'm out, time out. I, I gotta stop you. I don't want to, it's getting good, but I have to ask this question. Were yeah. you familiar with Norman Connors prior to him asking you to come out to California? No, I wasn't. Okay, continue. Cause I, you know, I had always been in, in, in gospel and, and particularly yeah. Norman. Norman uh, was a jazz artist, a jazz musician. So, you know, I was, I was more familiar with the, you know, straight up R&B stuff. Uh, he asked me to come out and, you know, uh, I was going to do the record, uh, but I was a little apprehensive because I had never sang secular music. And mm. I was, you know, I was, you know, I was, I, you know, I was nervous about what, you know, what the church members was going to say and, my mother being so heavily in the church, and you know, I didn't want to wow. embarrass her or hurt her, you know. So, uh, I uh, what I did when Norman presented me with Melancholy Fire, I lived with it for a couple of days, and then I took and rewrote the verses. Mm. So I made it a little more middle of the road, 
You know okay. what I'm saying? A little more inspirational. Okay. And um, I was comfortable with that. And I went in yeah. the studio and cut it, man. And like, yeah. you know, another reason why I, I, I made that transition because when I was doing gospel, a lot of the stuff that I was writing, it was really, really contemporary stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to hear my record sound like that. Back in those days, you know, they weren't spending money on on, on, on recording gospel records, man. They, you know, like those albums that I did, man, they sent me in the studio in one day, you know, I had to record, you know, like 10 songs and I'm playing guitar and teaching the band the stuff, you know, and I'm singing that whole time. So by the time I get ready to lay my vocal track down, I'm tired. Horse, you know, <laughs> yeah, burnt me out, but uh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to hear my record sound like the records that I heard on the RB stations, you know, that quality, you know, that right. great production. And I knew I had a, a chance to do that with Norman, and I did it. And when I heard Melancholy Fight for the first time, man, on the big, on the big monitors up top, I was like, <laughs> oh my god, you know, so yeah. was, that was it, you know. Yeah, yeah, you sang your heart on on that one, especially at the you know toward the end, man. When you hit that, you know, you you hit that run at the end, man. Like, yeah, you know, you 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 kill it, man. So so look, you mentioned like you know you was a little reluctant as far as uh, jumping into uh, rhythm and blues. Now yeah. I'm gonna go back for a second. Like now, growing up, you said you grew up in a Pentecostal uh, family background, Seventh Day Adventist. Now, did what were some of your influences? musical influences were you allowed to listen to rhythm and blues music no i wasn't i wasn't allowed to but i used to sneak and do it you know it's like you know when mom and pop went to the grocery store you right. know we we had a high five whatever you want to call it so i had <laughs> my, i had my little 45 stashed away in my room okay and they would go to the store you know my brother would be the lookout i got a brother that's four years older than, okay. than i and he would be the lookout, you know, and he'd tell me, you know, they they pulling up. But I'd be in there playing, uh, you know, Donnie Hathaway, uh, mm. uh, uh, Aretha Franklin, or, mm. uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, The Temptations, uh, um, uh, 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 Taylor, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, was, I was a huge fan of Bobby Womax. I used to love him, man, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's dope, man. So, so here we go. We go. We go move it. Uh, we go move along. So here it is. You know, it's 1983, 84. You signed with uh, RCA. What led to your signing with RCA Records? You know, because now you're no longer with Savoy. You got out of that contract. And yeah. what led to that? Actually, what led to it was that uh, uh, "Melancholy Fire" was the second single from uh, Norman's uh, "Take It to the Limit" album, and it jumped out. And just started happening, and then Norman eventually brought me on the road with him to tour with him. Right. I started doing shows, and I started, you know, getting attention through radio and everything. And the next thing I know, uh, the record had went. I think it went top fifteen or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next thing I know, I, you know, I got an offer from RCA to sign with them, and uh, they gave me a little uh, demo budget to go in the studio and. Uh, Record a few songs, you know, you know, something other than Melancholy Fire, just to really see. And I had some of the cats from uh, M2 Maze group at the mm. time. Reggie manager, Lucas and them? Yeah, my manager was friends with them, you know. Okay. Howard, Howard King and uh, mm. um, 
uh, Hubert Eves, you know, Hubert mm. Eves ended up putting together D Train, you know, and yeah. uh, it was about three cuts on me. And once we finished uh, the label, they loved it, so they they gave me a deal. Yeah, because I, I noticed, man, like that was rare. Like I don't remember any like a lot of EPs, but I always wanted to ask you this if I got the opportunity. Like, what? How come they released an EP? You know. I don't know because uh, we had planned uh, for an album, you know, and I, and, and you know, that, I didn't even know what an EP was, you know. Yeah, extended extended play and uh, um, an yeah. album, the EP, the extended play I'm talking about is the Everybody uh, Loves a Woman, which the, the title song did pretty, it did it did okay. Well, you know what that that project actually did better in uh, in Europe than it did okay. in the states, you know, because right, right now. You know, when I go over there, I have to play all of this stuff that I recorded 40 years ago. <laughs> and, you know, I never played it here in the yeah. States. Most of the right. songs, I never played them live. But right. when I go there, then I got to play all of them. And especially, I Am Somebody. That's I like Am a, Somebody. That's a big record, yeah. over, you know. Yeah, that's a cla that's a classic uh, uh, right there, man. So here we go, man. Here we have now we headed to 1984. It's your second project on RCA. So yeah. as like as of right now, uh, uh, how do you feel as far as um, RCA uh, marketing? As far as they marketing you as an artist, how, what's your you know how do you feel about that? Well, that's actually why I ended up leaving RCA. Don't get me wrong; they were they were good to me, you know, mm -hmm. and. Um, they uh you know they they financially they were good to me but they they didn't know how to market me they didn't they, they didn't know how to get me uh a serious serious hit record not right. until not until show me you know when i did show me which was the second project i did for rca let's go let's talk about it let's talk about that so we here we are that uh you know uh the second project man and, and yeah. You got you, you got uh uh bring back your love that finesse uh, project 1984 finesse yeah, finesse and uh and, and they got bring back your love which went number 18 and then you guys show me that went all the way to number three so yeah. talk about talk talk about that song man and it was written by an a, a, a writer lot is lala Lala, yeah. I never heard anything about that uh that writer again. So give me a little backstory about the, the show me, man. I know you've told this like a million times, but I want to hear this, man. No, uh her name is actually LaForest Cope, but okay. we called her Lala. And again, she was friends with my um with my uh my, my manager, and it was a community of people, you know, like you know, I lived out in Queens. And you know, Lala lived in Queens. Freddie Jackson lived in Queens. Uh, uh, Johnny Kemp lived in Queens. So we all used to hang out and you know, come to each other sessions and stuff. Right, and right. Uh, Lala lived probably like five minutes from my house. So I was getting ready to do my second project, and I needed another song. And so uh, I went to Lala's house, and um, she said, "Well, you know, I got something for you." She said, "But I want to play something first." you know, for you. Just I just want to see what you think about it. So she played this song called You Give Good Love. I know well, that's I, not the I know that's not the song that I think it is. <laughs> Yo, I know, hold on, hold on. I know that's not the song that I think it is by Whitney Houston. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. 
Hold on, we got a Vision a Generation podcast exclusive. I, I need to hear this. Let's go, let's go. Man, look, when I heard that song, I was on my knees begging her for that. I like, La, come on, man, come on, La. you got to let me have this. She was like, no, no, I can't do that, Glenn. I can't do that. This is for this uh, this new girl, this young girl that Clive Davis has got. You know, he's Arista doing records. Arista records. He's getting ready to do a project on her. So I've already committed this song to her. So I'm like, mm. what the hell are you playing for me then? You know, where you where you where'd you play it? <laughs> oh girl in the movie, so you got my mom ready for some orange juice to yeah, and you gonna leave a, a swallow in the container, you know. I felt like that, man. <laughs> oh man. She said, hold up, it's all good, it's all good. She said, I got something for you. And then she played Show Me. I said, Okay. All right, you know. And that was uh it was great, man, because uh at the time Lala was signed to uh to uh, Kashif's production company. So uh, she went in the studio along with Wayne Brathwaite and a guy named Steve Horton that was all signed to Kashif. And um, we went in and recorded the record. And, you know, Kashif was stopped by the studio sometime. And when he came in and heard me sing, when he heard, but when he heard me sing and show me, he told me I was singing too much like I was in church. I said, really? Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, I, that's what it's going to be, bro. I'm, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do what I do. The and gospel the- infused. That's what I'm talking about. That gospel infused vocals, man. You got yeah, it, brother. Yeah. You know, Whitney Houston had that too, man. So many singers. I mean, you know, Fantasia and and, and, and Casey and JoJo. I mean, that's Ray Charles. Come on, man. If you don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. You know, Not so a, uh, that right. would be uh that was the uh, first single from uh, the next album. And then okay. we came back with Bring Back Your Love. But uh, that was an amazing record. And matter yeah. of fact, another uh, little tidbit, that's Freddie Jackson singing the background vocals on Show Me. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever he sees me, he likes to tell me, Glenn Jones, I made you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy. That's wild because you came out before Freddie Jackson. You came out yeah. a couple of years before him. And he's yeah. older. He's much older than you. He uh I don't know how old Freddie is, but you know, the fact that he sang those backgrounds the way he sung them, you know, he killed them. But he always Man. likes to tease and say, Yeah, Glenn Jones, I made you. I sung I sung I sung on your first hit record. You know, so uh, <laughs> all in fun, you know, Freddie, that's my guy, man. And and he is crazy. That's my dude. <laughs> but um yeah, man, that was an exciting time to get a record, you know, uh, with that much, you know, uh, uh, success. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that was that was a good good time. One one of the things I love about that record, it sounds so fresh. It's timeless. Like when I hear that, I can that sound. It's a feeling that I get not just from the. The production, the instrumentation, the music, but the voice, it's like a the 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 culmination of everything, man. It's just did you ever realize like this song is going to be one of those songs that's just played 30, 40, 50 years from now? 
you know, I didn't know, but uh, I know now because I, I still get the checks, you know. So I know that's right. I know that's right. <laughs> you know, um, didn't know, man. You, you know, you never know. You know, people talk about, um, you know, what's a hit, what's not a hit, but mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to call, man. You don't, you don't ever know, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, when it came out, it really surprised me. And uh, that record led to me uh, getting to do a record with Dion Warwick because. Talk. Um, Let's go. Now we bought it. Let's yeah. let's talk. Let's go. Let's go. That find it. That find uh find the love uh, project. Yeah, let's go. Love, yeah. Uh, yeah. Around that time, uh, when that record came out, Dion was getting ready to do uh, uh, an album. I think she hadn't done an album with uh, Burt Bacharach in like eleven years or something. Mm -hmm. So they needed, you know, somebody to do the duet. Luther had did it before I did it, and um, but. Uh, they wanted to record the record, you know. I love Luther, you know, it's my guy, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to record the record in a higher key, right? And after they heard Show Me, they said, Oh, he can do it. So, um, right. I met with Bert and uh, and and Dion in New York. Next thing I know, I was flying to um, LA to do oh, the record. Ain't. You know, you, you know I gotta stop you, bro. You know I gotta stop you. You know I gotta stop you. Hold on, he's talking about the the legend, Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach, the king of, of pop productions. You know. Yes, yes. So, so now, did you get an opportunity to meet Hal David as well? No, I didn't meet. I didn't meet Hal, but uh, I was living in, in New York at the time, and uh, Burt had called my manager and asked her to bring me over. So, you know, on the west side, 57th Street, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's a, a, a very elite area. So we go in and now we catch the elevator up to the penthouse. Ooh. You know, I get off the penthouse and it's like, really? Okay. <laughs> you know, Leon Warwick is sitting over in the corner. And Bird is sitting at the piano, you know, uh, doodling, you know, doing whatever he, you know, he was doing. And, and you're uh, a kid, man. You just you, you, like oh, you 20, 20, yeah, you're a kid, yeah. man, damn near. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'm like um, just so blown away, man. And you know, I've, I've been a fan of Dion Works, you know, all those years of seeing her on all those shows, you know, the Johnny Carson show and the Merv Griffin show and this show right. and that show. And seeing, you know, Burt Bagarak you know, score so many movie you know, scores and, you know, work with so many amazing people. And I'm like, these people want to work with me. So the meeting went great. I flew out to Cali and once again, back to Cali. <laughs> and uh, she and I recorded the, the song at a studio called Lion Share. That was uh, Kenny Rogers on the studio out there. Beautiful place. And uh, uh, Bert and his wife, Care Bear Sager, you know, and Dion, we all were in the studio. Another, another legend. Yeah, recording the record, man. So it was uh, an amazing thing, and then that led to me going uh, on the uh, tonight Johnny Carson show with Dion. You know, that was amazing. And uh, you, you, you killed that performance, brother. Man, <laughs> you know what? I, I kind of think I did it. all right. Yo, brother, you yeah. killed that, man. You was you was like Michael Jordan in, in, in 1986 at the Boston Garden, man. You was on you. That's one of my favorite live performances from you, man. man. 
Look, um, at the time I was living in Queens and uh, I lived in a four family uh, building. Uh, Chris Reed from Kid and Play, his father, Mr. Reed, he owned the building. So I had my spot on the left and my, 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 my girl, who's now my wife, Genovia Jeter, she was at home on, you know, at the apartment and Chris was at the apartment with his dad. And she told me when, when the broadcast was going on, when I was singing, they was just beating on the wall, man. Both of them, (laughs) he killing it, he killing it, you know? So, um, yeah, that was, uh, I know what I'm talking about, man. I know what I'm talking about, man. Like, bro, you, 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 you bodied that performance, man. You bodied that. I know Johnny was like, man, who is this kid? But he know, he know who you are now. Man, man, you know, you know, and, and uh, Lola Falana, that was a good friend Ooh. of the audience, and she was there, you know, you know, you know, she was one of the, one of the first sex symbols, you know. Yes, yes, beautiful, 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 beautiful woman, man. Yeah, she's yeah. sweet, and Dion Warwick is such a such a nice lady. She's a beautiful person inside and out, man. So it was a good time. So look, so so you, you, right now you're still on RCA Records. Now, my question, I always wanted to know this, like, what were some of the other acts that was the other black acts that was on RCA Records? Because you kind of mentioned, you kind of hinted at, there was a little, I don't want to say tension, but it was a, it wasn't totally comfortable with being on RCA Records. So did they have a black division, rec- uh, uh, a black division with RCA? Yeah, they had a black division, but you know, you had uh, uh, acts like the Pointer Sisters. They were on RCA, but you know, their records were were, uh, were uh, marketed and records. promoted by the pop. You know, yeah, pop yeah. Yeah. you know, and whenever you know, uh, artists, a black artist came with a record that had the potential to cross over, they very seldom would get the pop staff to work it. But whenever you know, a white act had a crossover record, like Hall and Oates, you know, and a lot of other people, they would make black staff work that record on the black radio side. Mm. You know? Yeah. So you so you you saw a lot of the, you know, what a lot of people don't want to talk about musical music industry racism early in the in, in yeah. the, you know, a lot of yeah. people don't want to talk about that. You know uh, real bro, you know, they got the big budgets and even when it came down to writing and getting publishing deals uh they got the bigger publishing deals and you know they just got more uh, uh, uh label support you know okay. and uh rca they did a lot of distribution you know like uh different companies you know was were distributed through rca you had right. like a total experience you know lonnie simmons who the had, got bad you got bad and, and, yeah. right south so you know uh a lot of people, you know, they even had this cat on there, Richard Dimples Fields. Of course. Um, yeah, she's got papers, so he was on the label. And, um, uh, man, there, there were quite a few artists, um, but um, they didn't really know how to market, you know, what I was doing. They didn't know, you know. Did you ever so, voice your, did you ever voice that to them? Like, how, how does that work? Like, you're on a, you know, because I'm outside looking in. How does that work? You're the talent. You're the artist. You're the one that's bringing the artistry to the table. How does that work as far as, you know, communicating your um, displeasure? Well, you know, uh, you would have, um, you know, meetings with, you know, some VIP, with some VPs and stuff. And you, 
would uh, express to them, you know, your hopes for your next project and what you think uh, and how you think the record should be, you know, marketed. And, you know, for the most part is, you know, but um, right about that time, because uh, RCA was distributing, um, they were distributing Jive Records. They came to Jive Records, Jive Records came to RCA. Right. And when they cut their, uh, when they cut the deal with them, you know, their, their uh, dis distribution deal, they right. said, the only thing we want is we want Glenn Jones. Mm. So put him in, in this deal. And uh, that's how I slid from RCA over to Jive Records, you know, because they were cutting a, cutting a, a distribution deal. Okay, okay. So now you over at Jive Records, you released your self-titled project, which yeah. had Old Girl, which now, now, what made you leave, what, what made you re-record that uh, Shy Lights record, you know? I always loved it, man. It's like, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, you know, again, with the records, you know, in the back of the house, uh, you know, yeah. on the high fi you know, playing, yeah. uh, you know, all this Shy Light stuff. It was the coldest yeah. of my, my life. Right my on favorite. that. That's right my on, favorite. That, oh, the strings on that joint was just so warm, man. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Amazing. Yeah, and, and I loved it. So uh, I said one day I'm going to, you know, re-record, uh, you know, one of their records. But uh, that was uh, the opportunity you know, that led to me doing We've Only Just Begun, you know. Talk about that, which was your biggest hit. Yeah, yeah, even though it was number two record, but it still was the biggest one, you know, in my opinion it was. Def definitely was the biggest hit at the time. So around this time, music has kind of changed. You know, they say they say music changes like every three, four years. So the self-titled project, you, 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 uh, that, that has that song and we've only just begun now. How has, how did your life change after that one? Because that was bigger than show me. That went to, yeah. I believe number two on the charts. Yeah, that was number two, but you know, man, I, you know, I always listed, you know, as number one, because at the time, Michael Jackson, uh, had, <laughs> the bad out. <laughs> yeah, the bad record out, and he was at number one. Now, how how am I gonna possibly knock Mike out of the box? That don't even count. Yeah, I feel you. We kept he ho he ho, you know, trying to bust through, but uh, you know, he had a number one record, man, and um, it changed because I started to do more dates and tour, and you know, uh, people really started to uh, take notice, and uh, even from a songwriting standpoint, to get credit. For writing a song like that, you know, it was it was nice. Yeah. So I started getting publishing deals and co-publishing deals, rather, and okay. um, it was good. You know, it was uh, it was a, a definite come up. You know? Okay, so now you, you you know you do another project on one more project on uh, Jive, uh, which had you know you re-recorded Stay Again. Now why yeah. why did you why did you re-record that? I didn't re-record it. They re-recorded it. I recorded it first. So why was it on the on on uh, that that last job project though? Because it's because two stages. It's two. It's, it's it's on two of your albums. Well, we had a remix that we did. You know. Okay, that's, a, that's what that's what I mean. Yeah, I we had a remix, and then uh, yeah. you know we did a greatest hits album. But there's another group from uh, what's the group from from Europe that recorded it? Uh, I can't think of the name of the group. The girls. Uh, they recorded it. a group of females recorded it after I did, but that was a 
that was a top five record too. That was exactly. I I love that one. I love yeah. that's another that's another classic. I feel like that was very slept on. It got it got his respect, you know, during that new whole New Jack Swing era. And and, and so so yeah. talk about that. Like you know, you're being you're being known for being a crooner. Was that yeah. was that a title that you embraced or you know like did that affect you in any type of way? I think it did because people would always put me in that category. And what they didn't realize is that my earlier projects, like uh, what I, you know, I did for, for uh, on uh, RCA, a lot of that stuff was up-tempo. Very up-tempo. On both albums. That's why they love it so much in Europe. You know, mm -hmm. I, but I just happened to get a smash with Show Me. Mm -hmm. And that kind of that like just... Uh, Tag me, you know what I'm saying? Okay, he's but, a, he's a but, but that's the thing. That's not even really a ballad. That's more like a mid-tempo song. Yeah, it is because you know uh, your boy Cube and 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 a few other uh, uh, hip hop artists uh, took that track and and and, and re redid it. You know, <laughs> so I, I I don't know. And that's that's actually I've been told by a lot of people that when they go to the skating rink, oh, that's yeah. the song they skate off of. You Hell know? yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. That's a that, that's a classic. So you you end up you end up going over to um Atlantic Records, man, and you drop you know more classics, man. You like so what now you're you're working with Sylvia Rome. And, and, yeah. and I, if I'm not mistaken, she's head of the black division. She got Levert over there, she got Troop. So right. what was what was the difference, man? I'm thinking, I'm thinking outside looking in, because I now I, I vividly remember this time. And I'm right. like, wow, he's over here at Atlantic, man. This is a perfect fit. Well, you know, before I went to Atlantic, I'm sorry, man. No, go ahead. I got to turn my phone off. Before no, I went okay. to Atlantic, um, um, Gerald Busby at Town mm. uh, had offered me a record deal. And, um, wow. I know, you know, that was. Um, that was a West Coast company, so I lived on the East Coast. I lived in New York, so I just decided to uh, take the deal with Atlantic. Hey, you know? hey, yeah, if, I, if you don't mind, it kind of it's gonna mess the algorithm. Yeah, okay, right. music. All right, uh, so um, I ended up going to uh, Atlantic, and because um, you because you, you got uh, two more hit. Go ahead, Miami Country. Go ahead. No, but it, it was good for me because I got a chance to open up on my songwriting. Mm. And I got a chance to, uh, you know, uh, test out my uh, production skills, you know, and on that project is when I really started writing a lot more and producing, you know, part of my projects. You Talk know, about that. How, how important is that to be, well, you know? Because you have more control. You know, I had a production deal, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, it's uh, you get a chance to work with the people that you want to work with. You control right. them, you know what I'm saying. And from that from that project, I got a number one record. The Here I Go Again, and actually I brought that in at the last minute. Mm. Uh, and Sylvia Rome was like, "Are you crazy? Why are you just not let me hear this song?" So they decided to go with that, you know, for the first single, and uh, it was a number one record. And um, I think that's your first number one. That's that's yeah. your. Uh 
your first official number one. Right, right. I had a number three, then I had a number two, then I had uh, a, 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 another. Uh, Stay number with the number five. Then. Number five, and then I had a number one. You so, was consistent, uh, man. And you was very yeah. consistent. But the times were changing, man. You know, uh, everything was changing. You know, hip hop. You know, and it was like, um, okay, now you know, it's like uh, you're doing you're doing adult records. You know what I'm saying? I'm explain, ex explain, explain that. I never understood that. Like you, you're an adult. Like yeah, I'm, I'm an adult, so you know. What, what are you supposed to be singing about? I have no idea, man. But that's when things, you know, just uh, kind of got, you know, you know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it just uh, it wasn't easy to take an adult record and market it and make it happen. Radio was changing. You know what I'm saying? They were starting to play different stuff. So now your music has been put in a different category, you know, just as it is now, you know, a lot yeah. of artists that, um, you know, not long ago, you know, in my opinion, they were like, a, a, you know, a mainstream artist, you know, oh, yeah. but now it's not like that, you know, it's just different. They don't play their records in mainstream, you know, so, um, you know, but, um, uh, I don't regret it because I did the music that I wanted to do and the music right. that I was comfortable with doing and the music that right now, years later, I'm still comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to jump up and try to do a a, a, a a new Jack record or something like that. Right. No, yeah. that, that first project uh, on uh, Atlantic Records, I, I, to me, that's my favorite Glenn Jones project. And that was a great record, man. That was good. And, 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 and you mentioned, you know, they they you, they were trying to figure out what to do if you were, as an artist. But I don't understand because the charts is, is 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 saying otherwise. You got Here I Go, which goes to number one. Yeah. I've been searching, which is my favorite Glenn Jones song outside of Show Me. Right. I've been like, that's my like. I, and that goes to number eight. So I don't understand. You have you have groups that you know, that's in this new Jack Swing era and they supposed to be selling records, but they don't have hits like that. So I don't understand. Like, what are they talking about? Well, you know, um, even other songs that that's on that album could have been big records. I had a song. There is a song on that, on that particular project called At Last. Oh, that's my, yeah. Look, in New York, they were banging that joint man on Kiss FM, on BLS, in right. Houston, uh, in uh, Chicago. This record was a number one record on this. Mm. But when I went to the record label and asked them to drop it as a single, they wouldn't do it. They said, you know, it ain't a record, it's just a groove. What? I promise you, bro, I got on my oh, you gotta be kidding me, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, which, which project was that hooked on your love? Which one was that on? Oh, that was on the, uh, uh, man. Is that on the all, that's on the All of You project? Yeah. Whoa, yeah. that all was my, oh, man. man. That's all for you. All of that, I went to South Africa a couple of years ago. I was supposed to go this past year, but because of the pandemic, man. I can go back. All of that music that you're talking about, they are crazy for it. They are crazy for that music. Uh, all for you. Man, they crazy for it here in D.C. I know here in D.C., brother, you was damn near. I thought you was damn near from D.C. I, when I found out you was from Jacksonville, I'm like, huh? Yeah. 
I'm but thinking, now, I, I've become a huge. You're huge here, man. Like I've been coming to DC for uh, you know, forty years because my wife is from DC. You know, that's oh. her. Yeah, yeah okay. she, we started singing together, and uh, that's what's up. Yeah, so uh, but uh, all that stuff, man, and all those songs are huge, like in the Steppers. You know, uh, mm, yeah. yeah. And 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 yeah. the steppers uh, 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 circle. You know what I'm saying? They big records. I mean, yeah. I got a lot yeah. of records that people are not even aware about. But in the steppers circuit, they kill it. They they love them. You know, your songwriting, like I said, um, your songwriting definitely improved, man. Like it was already it was already really good. But yeah. as I listen, like those projects, those projects that you that you did on Atlantic Records, man. Those are some really that to me. That's the best work of of, of Glenn Jones. I love that album, man. You know, the songs like uh, "The Way You Do." Mm, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's that. You know, and uh, in you. Yeah, yeah. In you, I found perfect love. Whew. Great song. That's a that's a, a classic song, man. Yeah, yeah. That's classic. So, you know. So what was some of the highlights of being on Atlantic Records? Because to me, that's prime. Like a lot of see your your, your career you, is so many highlights. You know, from yeah. the RCA to Jive. Like one thing I noticed about Glenn Jones, man, he go get he go get him he go he go hit wherever he go he go get him one. Oh, well, let's give me one. He go get him one. He go get him one. He ain't about to go to no, you know. And I, and that's and it's weird because I never mm. understood that when I'm looking at your discography, I'm like. You do two two albums with RCA, two with Jive, two, but you us the, the music is no drop off, and you're getting hits. I never understood that, man. So give me some of the highlights, man. Like you know, um, during your career, man. You know, um, well, you know, during that at, era, during that era, being at Atlantic, you know, it was uh, it was an honor to be, you know, on the label that was the home of Donny Hathaway and. Aretha Franklin, you know, mm. I always, always dug that. But, uh, you know, it led to a lot of stuff, it, you know, like me having a relationship with uh, Aretha Franklin. You know, I did um, I did concerts with her, you know, where I would go out, you know, uh, walk on stage with her with a, you know, 30-piece orchestra and, you know, have my little tuxedo on and, you know, yeah. do us and stuff with her. And then, you yeah. know, she would uh, have me to fly to Detroit and do these big, elaborate birthday parties for her right, right. and uh you know um just being able to go out and tour mm -hmm. man you know okay i'm going out for five weeks six weeks you know went out with you know me gerald avert and r kelly and uh uh did dates with a lot of different people so i just wanted i always wanted to be on the road singing man you know a lot of right. people complain about traveling they want to jump on a flight you know mm -hmm. i'm like thing for me was where hey where's my tour bus you know and you know I think right. that was exciting you know for me man what were some of your favorite places to perform chicago atlanta houston uh new york i mean new york was always a good place for me to perform i used to perform at this club down town called the bottom line mm -hmm. and you know all of the you know all your peers you know all my peers would come out man to see me play you know and uh you know you you, you know you got access to some of the best musicians in the world in new york 
no doubt, no doubt. And uh, I used to love to go to uh, go to the UK, you know, go to uh, London and Manchester, you know, right. um, just so many, just so many great places, man. You know, LA. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Now you mentioned, you know, you mentioned uh, guys like uh, R. Kelly. You mentioned guys like Gerald Levert. Who would give me your top five vocalists of your of your era, not including yourself? Or give me three. I'm not even gonna hold me to five. Just give me three. Of my era? Yeah, of your era. It's kind of hard, man. And listen, listen, listen. The reason why I ask you that because Glenn, I'm talking to Glenn Jump, like Glenn Jump, like Glenn. You're a big deal, like brother. You have, you know how Michael Jordan played basketball? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And your voice is like Michael Jordan played. If I had to choose, Man. I, I, I would have to think about it. Like, I'm going to be honest. If, if God said, you know, Malak, I'm going to give you the voice of Glenn Jones. I'm going to give you the, the talent of Michael Jordan. I'm a, yo, that's not an easy decision because your voice, man, like you have one of those type of voices and I just, I never felt like you really get the credit you deserve. But when I look back, I'm like, you got the, you, you, you got, you got the stats. Yeah. You got the stats, man. But it's something I just, I never understood. And I think, you know what I think? I know I'm rambling. I know I'm rambling because I asked you a question. But I think, man, you were just too soulful, man. You was too much, man. You was too, bro, you, you was too, you were too soulful, wow, man. <laughs> Yo, you were too soulful, man. Like, wow. like, like, like for you to, for you to understand your type of music, man, you got to be a person that understands life. You got a person, you got to be a person that understands love, man. And if you can't understand life and love and relationships and hurt and pain, you're not going to get Glenn Jones, man. He's, he's not for you. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, um. I think they call that soul, you know, they just call it soul because, um, you know, I never, uh, I never, you know, when I was young, I never planned to start singing R&B. I, I never had, you know, that in, in the back of my mind and somehow it just happened. Right. And when it happened, I just said, I'm gonna be me. You know, I don't care what I'm singing. You know, it's like Ray Charles is one of my favorite singers of all times, but when he, you know, came out and started putting out those records, man, you know, that were hits, man. It's like, you know, they were trying to tell him it was blasphemy and he was going to hell because he was singing right. this stuff just like he sung his gospel. But that's in your DNA. You are who you are. No you doubt. Know and so, I mean, when, when I say of my era, because some of the cats, you know they're a little, they're, they're, they were older than I was, but I still got a chance to experience their music, and I would have to say people like Peebo Bryson. I would have to say, uh, I would have to say um, uh, Charlie Wilson. Mm. Uh, I would have to say um, Luther Vandross. Okay. Uh, I would have to say uh, Michael McDonald. You know, mm. those are the kind of people. Yeah. And Stevie, Stevie Wonder, come on. That's the Mount Rushmore right there. You you yeah. you give me you giving me the Mount Rushmore of of a vocalist, man. And and so yeah. how important was that to you to be, you know, did you ever while you you know during that time, did you ever make it your duty, man, to be one of the best the 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 best vocalists, man? Like how important 
it was to you to be able to match what you did on record and live shows and let the people know that ain't no studio trickery over here. Right. Ain't nobody messing around in the studio to make to enhance my voice. This is Glenn Jones, what you hear. Well, you know, it was very important to me because uh, music is all I've really ever known. You know, it's, it, it's what I do, it's who I am. Right. And, and uh, you know, when you know you have a talent or a gift, you want to really be good at it. Right. And, and I think sometimes because of um, the fact that the, that the uh, direction of music changed and, uh, you know, less and less you were getting the opportunity to get the exposure, you know, that you needed to get, you know, as an artist, I think it became more important to me for people to say, okay, he did that record. Yeah, he did that, you know. he, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, he might not, you know, uh, he might not sell 10 million records, but you know what? The ones that he recorded. Body yeah, him. You kill him. Yeah, they yeah. like that. They like that. So it was very important to me. You know, I've always been a real laid back, humble kind of guy. I mean, all my peers know me and they know I'm cool, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, when I get the mic, then, you know, I try to make it a different thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. yes, okay. yeah, it's every man for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, right exactly. every, every man for themselves. So, so I'm thinking back around, you know, um, you, like you said, music changed a lot, man. Was there ever a time where you felt like you was discouraged from, you know, because you mentioned, man, you know, you mentioned that, you know, music was going in another direction, and they saying that you sound too, you, you sound uh, so mature. But was that ever? Did you like talk about that? I've had uh, many days like that, man. You know that were discouraging. You know uh, because you start to think, is it me? You know, am I not? You know, bringing it. You know, do I not have a certain level? You know, uh, of quality and talent to give, you know. No way. But I would think about that for a little minute. Snap and, out of it. <laughs> I snap out. I just go in the, I go and get in the shower and then I would sing a song in the shower and I'd be like, hmm, I, yeah. I like the ambiance in that, you know. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I snap out of it, man. But, you know, I realized that no matter what field you're in, there are a lot of great people in all different kind of categories and different fields that don't necessarily get the acclaim that other people get, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that you're not as good or better than they are. True. You know, I mean, you, and you have to come to a place in life to say, whatever's for me is for, for me. No what God gives me, he gives me. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people have lost it, gotten off track. Right. You know, because they can't deal with, you know, the fact that, you know, they got all of this great gift and great talent, but somebody else is getting so much more recognition than they are. There's a reason for everything. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes those people that might get those accolades and might make that kind of crazy money, right. you know, you don't know what's going on in their life. And, you know, sometimes they don't even, you know, Sometimes their life is not extended. It's not that long. You know what I'm saying? I mean, no yeah, so I totally get it. My mother said, told me that my life was in God's hands. So I got to accept that. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to accept that. But at the same time, you got to look at the fact that um, I'm still in the music business 40 years later. Mm -hmm. Still making a good living at it. I'm still doing my thing, doing what I want to do. I'm still my own guy, my own boss. 
You win it. Like they say, man, you know, when you get to do what you love, then you never work a day in your life. So man, I love I'm it. Good. I yeah. love it. I, lo I love to hear you talk like that because I, you know, I know people, I, I know wherever you go, people show, they show love, you know, yeah. they, they show, show me, they show you love. Yeah. And, and, but I, I want you to know, man, for the bottom of my heart, brother, you, you are a legend. I'm going to give you flowers, brother. And, and you deserve everything that you that you have accumulated, man, in your life. So, I wanna I wanna switch gears for a second. Um, you know, I wanna uh, I, I've heard you know we we hear a lot of stories of artists you know having you know issues with record labels and you know uh you know uh financial duress or whatever. What advice would you give an artist? You know, because a lot of times they tell artists you know hire a financial advisor. And then yeah. the financial advisor be the one that's rip, ripping the ass off. So, what advice would you give to somebody who you know who's getting into the music industry and want to you know be able to keep tabs on what they you know what they accumulating, what they bringing in? Well, I don't I don't think I can say it any better than uh, Bill Cosby said: count your own money. <clears throat> you know, because people are tempted, man, and um, they uh, they will use your money as their money. Um, I say realize the fact that nothing lasts forever, you know, money, you know, it, uh, there's an ebb and flow to it, you know, so learn to save your money and learn to think about the future, you know, um, you know, that, that advice sometimes is easier said than done, you know, have made mistakes, you know, you start making more money than you ever made and, you know, you're feeling yourself and you want to spread your wings and, you say, know. What Biggie say, more money, more problems. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, so uh, I, I learned that the hard way, man. But um, the main thing is to get the opportunity to, uh, to look at all of your transactions, your contracts and know what they mean. I mean, if you got to get a lawyer, you know, just because you got a manager, you right. know, don't lead that up to them to be fair with you. Get, get right. you a lawyer. You know, I was looking at um, the, uh, uh, the Sam Cooke story not long ago. And Sam Cooke, of course, has started his record label. And yes, uh, he had a guy that was, uh, you know, his partner in a label. And this guy stole like a lot of uh, Sam's publishing, from what I understand. You mm. know, it's kind of... Just got him. Right. You know, and a lot of artists, man, you know, they're just good-hearted people. They, you know, they're just happy to even have that success, man. And you know, they're doing what they love, and they, right. you know, just uh, very uh, trusting kind of people. Sometimes, you know, my man wouldn't do that to me. You know, uh -uh, you can't think like that. Yeah, yeah. I guess that you know, like artists feel like you know, I just want to make the music, man. Let the let the business take care yeah. of itself. And then that's how you end up getting bit in the ass. Yeah, well, that is the fun part, you know, just you know, doing the creative thing, you know. That's yeah. that's the that's the butter right there, man. But you know, you gotta think, you know, you gotta look at people in a certain way, and uh, uh, you know, you gotta verify. Right. You know, just verify. No doubt, no doubt. So look, um, a while back, and 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 you know, you was, you was diagnosed with type two diabetes. And I, I bring that up because I recently had a scare of uh, borderline type two uh, diabetes at one time. And my, mm -hmm. um, my, uh, you know, my girlfriend of two and a half years, she passed away from type one. Oh, so, uh, you yeah. know, 
Yeah, I'm I'm looking at you, man, brother. You look amazing, bro. You look you look great, man. So tell me about you know how have you overcame uh, that, and what have you uh, done to change as far as like your your, your diet and eating? Because you look you look you look good, brother. Well, thank you, bro. I'm gonna tell you, uh, the uh, pandemic has not been helpful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, all this downtime, and you attempted to go to that cabinet or that refrigerator. Get them Cheetos. Yeah, get them Cheetos. You know what They're I mean? calling your name, man. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Glenn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, and you lay, you lay in bed at night thinking about what you're going to eat for breakfast the next morning. Yeah, I'm going to get me some grits. I'm going to get me some, you know. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I get off track a little bit, man, but it's, you know, it's about in moderation, you know, like I uh, recently uh, really got back into my, my, my program and my diet now, you know, um, mm -hmm. because, um, it's a serious thing, man. And I had, um, you know, I come from a family, you know, with a lot of diabetes, my father had it and, um, five of my brothers had it and a sister that had it, you know, and, um, it's a, it's a life changer, man, because I, you know, I come from a family. I like to eat, man. You know, like my mother was a great cook. From the south, man. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I like to get it in, you know. And yeah. then I, I, you know, I started cooking myself in the past few years, so uh, I'm always mindful of it, man. And I just, I try to, um, you know, I try not to go too far, you know, I take right. advantage of it, you know. And I just pray, I ask God to keep me, man, just mm -hmm. to keep me, you know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy I like my. Uh, I like my, my, my grapes, you know, my wine and all of that, you know, but it made me, you know, step back from that and just have, you know, have a glass or two every now and then, you know, I don't, you know, I don't get it in like that. No moderation. Yeah. yeah. Moderation, you know? So, yeah. That's what's up. So, um, you know, a, a while back, I think it's maybe 2000, 2007, 2008, you, um, you linked up with the, uh, the Canton spirituals, you got back into gospel. Yeah so, yeah. so talk about that. What made you want to jump back into gospel, man? And, and, and you know, put it down in the in the, in the gospel field again, man. What, what, what said, hey, come on, Mr. Jones, come on back. Well, I mean, because that's that's rooted in me, man. That's yeah. uh, that's still, you know, and I have written other gospel uh, music and uh, I've got a whole catalog of gospel music that I've written that I haven't recorded yet. Wow. But, Truthfully speaking, the Cantons made me get back in it because I was such a fan of theirs, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they 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 changed the game with you know uh, contemporary, with, contemporary yeah, gospel. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, they, they changed the game, man. And, yeah. and Harvey Watkins is such a um, he's an amazing writer, you know, and he's a he's a showman, you know. He he's a tactician when he's on 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 the uh, on the stage, right. and uh, the, the idea of getting a chance to do a record with him. And then, you know, we involved my wife, Janoya Jeter, uh, in that, and uh, for all three of us to do a record together. And I never, you know, thought that the record, you know, would win a, a Stella or be, uh, you know. Nominated, wasn't it nominated for a Grammy? Yeah, and actually I, I produced two songs on that album. That's dope. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, and, and right now Harvey and I, we still good friends. Matter of fact, when I did my, uh, uh, when they did the unsung on TV One, I had Harvey on the show, you know, to talk about, you know, our relationship and stuff like that. So, 
Um, I will always love gospel, man. Always. Okay. Okay. So you got a um, you got a foundation. Talk a little bit about uh, the the Love Jones Foundation. Yeah, I uh, I started a foundation. Uh, I think we started that about about four years ago, and um, you know, during the time my mother was living, I always saw her. You know, try to be, you know, service to people and helping people. You know, um, whether she was taking food to them or just you know going to sit and keep company with them and just encouraging them or whatever she did. You know, she used to be a seamstress, so she would make different things for people. And um, I kind of did that as a tribute to her. You know, I kind of did it to say that, you know, she would be uh, happy or proud to see me do something. Right. Like it, it's not just about me being a musician or a songwriter mm-hmm. or a singer or an artist. It's about, you know, uh, having some type of legacy, you right. know, and that was important. And um, it's uh, because at one time, you know, my, my father, passed away years ago. When my father passed, I was like 22 years old. So my mother lived on her own by herself for a lot of years. And um, so I remember her asking me to record some gospel. So I went in the studio, you know, and um, recorded uh, about four gospel songs, you know, me just playing guitar and singing. And uh, that was what kept her company. You know, she used to uh, listen to that when she was, you know, had a long time. So right. we figured if I could take some of that music into some of these senior citizen homes and, you know, expose them to something that they don't get, because a lot of those folk, you know, people, you know, they forget about them. You know, we call right. them forgotten seniors. So I started taking my little rhythm section in uh, in these homes, man. And uh, I would sing from Nat King Cole to I'd even sing some Billy Holiday or some you know, <laughs> Sinatra or some Andre Crouch. And um, it lifted their spirits, man. And we would do, you know, gift giveaways and raffles and stuff like that. Okay. And every day when after I would do something like that, I would come home and just sleep good. I felt good about it. So I did that. And then we worked also work in conjunction with, you know, uh, kids. You know, uh, we did some things in conjunction with the Boys, Boys and Girls Club, you okay. know, and did workshops and PowerPoint presentations, try to teach them something about, you know, the business because um, a lot of them have aspirations to be in music and actually right. some of them have talent, mm-hmm. you know. So it was something to encourage them and just to give them the history because a lot of the music that they are drawn to now, they don't realize that music was written and recorded 60 years ago, 50 years ago, you know, they, yeah. they think, you know, uh, maybe, you know, Notorious B.I.G. or somebody was the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miles Davis or somebody that yeah. joined, you know. And we did that, you know, we do that. So we've just been kind of waiting for things to open up. You know, we have toy drives that we would do for Christmas and stuff and give away toys. But we've been waiting for, you know, this whole COVID thing, man. Right. To, uh, you know, subside so we can get back at it. Hell yeah. Nah, no doubt, no doubt, brother. Yeah. So look, you mentioned, you know, you just mentioned, um, working with the kids and as far as like, you know, music, man. So talk about what's your take on, you know, the current state of rhythm and blues. You know, you you know, you mentioned how the kids uh, hear songs that came out 60 years ago and not realizing that these songs, uh, they hear songs that came out recently, but not realizing these songs were recorded uh, 60 years ago and et cetera. So talk about that, man. How do you feel about the current state of rhythm and blues in 2021? I think that uh 
I think it's evolving, you know, because I hear a lot of stuff that uh, for me, you know, it brings back that feel and that memory of what music used to be like, you know. Um, I know we got a lot of these, you know, trap beats and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you know what, man, I, I, I truly try to stay open and learn something from everybody, you know, whether it's the newer artists, you know, uh, and I like to see when you infuse the old with the new or the old school, as they say, with the new, because you can listen to what the younger artists are doing and you know they're listening to what was back in the day. You know they are, you know, and it's influencing them. So uh, I think that uh, the problem is, is that sometimes people, uh, they, uh, they kind of get into the ageism thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you can, I can do a record and, you know, it might not really pop off, but some youngster can come and do that same record and it'll be a mega hit. Right. That yeah. was to me. It's only in black music for some reason. It seemed like only I, in black music. Yeah, I, 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 Bruce, 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 Bruce Springsteen, he can go platinum at 80 years old or whatever, however old he is, you know? Yeah, it's always been like that. And it's like, you know, all of the all of the artists, all of the soul artists, all of the black artists that made R&B what it is, you know, they can barely go out and do some dates and get a decent... Um, performance feet a lot of times. You Why do you, what do you think attribute to that? Because what I'm noticing as me, I'm in, I'm in my forties now. So I, I, I got some years on me, you know, and, and what I've noticed, um, a lot, do you, okay, this is the question I want to ask. Let me get right to it. I'm not even going to beat around the bush. Do you think we as a people preserve our legends in particular and rhythm and blues and jazz and those genres, those non-hip-hop genres, do you feel that we preserve our, our legends the way that we should? No, I don't think we do that because I think, you know, we're always looking for the next new thing, you know. Um, and uh, I think we don't really, you know, it's all about what's happening now, but we don't really think about the talent and the skill that it took for this artist to become the artist that they are and talk the about it. Talent that they have, you know, it's just like, you know, you do a record and over in Europe, England, or wherever, mm -hmm. they know who wrote it. Right. They know who produced it. Exactly. They know everything. We don't know that. We don't care about that. It's like, why? You know, why? Do why? I like your beat? Okay. Yeah. You know, I don't know why it's like that. I've never understood. It just seems to me, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Do you see it this way? Uh, you mentioned earlier, like how the ageism in in, in uh, music. I don't know if we were talking about specifically rhythm and blues, but what I've noticed, and again, tell me, do you see it this way, or maybe you see it differently? It seemed like we as black people are not allowed to do traditional rhythm and blues, but other nationalities are allowed so you can have uh adele and sam smith and they can they can do the glenn jones what they can they can sing and, and do all these runs yeah and they can do all of that but when we do it all let's put them on the adult contemporary but if they do it yeah they sell records millions, like, millions. why why are we not allowed to do what we created 
but other nationalities. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to make this a race thing. It, it's just what it is. It, it, that's it's true. I mean, what, so, so what's your take? What's your it, take on that? It's just like uh, when I told you, you know, when I was at Atlantic and uh, I did the uh, album with Here I Go Again and all that stuff. And then I did right. the second project. Uh, uh, here I am. It's like, you know, when they started talking about, oh, well, this is adult music. You know what I'm saying? But those same people that you just mentioned can do an adult record and it's accepted. I don't know why. Not only is it accepted, uh, Glenn, but they can, they will outsell. You can, you can get five of the top rhythm and blues artists and they'll outsell all of them. Yeah. They will, and Man, I, the, top, the top five rhythm and blues artists right now, they would Adele sells more than all of them combined. I have no uh, explanation for it, man. I, I don't know why it is like that. I because see the thing is, <clears throat> you know that the white <clears throat> audience they love R and B, okay? Because even back in the day, you know, in the early Motown days and stuff, you know, that was the thing that had. The music industry popping, you know. Right. That was why back in the day, sometimes when they did a record on a black artist, you know, they wouldn't even put the picture on the cover. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, when you think about um so many artists from that era, man, it's it's like uh I I, I don't know. They they were and they were coming with, you know. New concepts. I mean, we 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 were like, you know, we were leading the music industry, you know. Uh, but for some reason, uh, we never really seemed to be able to take that 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 base that we established and make it grow and take it along with us. You know, we, for some reason, that never happened. What do you What do you think that? What do you think that we as a people can do to possibly change that? Because I, I, I love hip hop, but yeah. um, I love I love you know I love rhythm and blues, man. That's that's what I was raised on. I'm from Washington D.C. I'm not from New York, so a lot of people, you know, I if, if you follow my platform, you will you you see a lot of hip hop artists, but unbeknownst to a lot of people, I'm more of a rhythm and blues guy, you know, like. Right. If I had to choose, I'm sure that's that's my that's my heart and soul. That's what I was raised on. Yeah. Hip hop came a little bit later. So, what do you feel that we can do to 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 uh, 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 shed more knowledge and bring that back, uh, bring that soul back, bring you know, bring our black audience back to traditional rhythm and blues? I think you know a lot of the hip hop artists. They have got to start embracing what we call old school. Artists. Talk about it. Talk about it. They got to do that because it's not only beneficial to us; it's beneficial to them because they're going to learn something too now. They sample the music. They sample the music, so you know it's a part of everything that they do. So we need to embrace one another. You know what I'm saying? And we I agree. Need to, you know, uh, uh, so that the music can. The music can 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 last. You know what I'm saying. I mean, it can it can just uh, it can last forever. You know, um, because that's why I say I you know I, I never turn away from anything. You know, because I can learn something from anybody. Right. In, in my whole career, you know, a lot of the projects that I've done, I've, I've grabbed the hold to like new producers and songwriters and stuff and brought them into my thing. 
Um, whenever I put a band together, I, you know, I, I put, I got youngsters in my band. You know what I'm saying? To get that energy that they have. No but doubt. At the same time, they get to respect what I do, and they learn things from me too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like. Do you? Do you? Uh, you know, and this, this, you know, I'm not trying to put out a disclaimer or anything. Is to, you know, to explain what I'm about to say. But do you feel like since hip hop, uh, the the since the hip hop genre taken off do you feel like they show the same love that they give to possibly like that that base that they give to other genres because they do they give that love to art to rhythm and blues even though they sample them to death you know um i haven't i haven't witnessed that myself personally you know like i said you know i've done records like uh mike jones did uh a a a remake of uh he took We've Only Just Begun and, and yeah. Lippert did that song Flossing, you know, yeah. and Ice Cube and uh, some other, you know, people have taken uh, Show Me. You mm-hmm. know, I've even, you know, been on Instagram and, and saw a video of Puffy's son in his car bumping Show Me. I'm talking about my Show Me, you know. What yeah, I'm the original. Yeah, the original joint. You know, I've seen that. But um, to really, uh, really embrace it because when you look at the success, that somebody like a, a Ronald Isley had was due to the fact that somebody reached back, you know, like R. Kelly, you know, when you look I at love that. I love what happened with, um, with uh, Charlie Wilson. R. Kelly, yeah, I love that. Yeah, you know, R. Kelly uh, and uh, Snoop Dogg and all those cats, you know, they endorsed that, you know, so we need some of that embracing and some of that endorsement, you know. It's the, you know, a lot of times when I think about I don't know. I think, Glenn, I don't know if you look at Yeah, I, I see things a lot. I'm, I'm very different. I'm very peculiar in how, how I see things. And I'm about to wrap this video, this, this, you know, this interview up. But I do want to say this. I want to get your take on this. What I notice is artists like you, you set the bar very high as far as the singing quality. Do you feel like we, like... We, we, we're never going to get those voices back because I don't mind change the music. Let's make track beats. Fine. Let's let's. But can we sing? Can we get the those singers again? Can we sing over? Can we can we get that back? Well, you you got you know you got Jasmine Sullivan. There we go. You got Faith Evans. You got uh, uh, Fantasia. Uh, you know you got a lot of great artists who can t- truly sing. You know. Um, Music is always going to change from a recording standpoint, you know, just to, sonically it's going to change. You know what I'm no, saying? No problem with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool, you know, because I want to keep up with that too. Right. But actually the essence of the music, you know, the melody, the essence of it, you know, uh, what we do is still, you know, it's it's there and it, it's uh, it's timely but timeless. You know, that's why they can sample all kind of stuff and get a hit with it. You know, exactly. they take what they do, put that beat under it, and the essence of the song is still there. The melody, you know, mm-hmm. like like a little different or whatever, you know, but it's there. So mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, uh, we definitely got some great talent around. You know, I hear some people, you know, sometimes I, I'd be like, ooh, you know, that's a singing child there, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, we just need to... Uh, we need to connect with one another a little more, man. You know? No doubt. I agree. I agree. So look, um, 
you know, being that, you know, you've been in the industry, you know, going on plus 40 years, um, do you still get the same feeling that you got um, singing that you did when you first started singing, when you first started recording, you know? Uh, you, uh, yeah, I do. I do. Um, because I, I came from, um, I came from an era where, you know, we wasn't taking auto-tune and, and fixing stuff, you know, tuning it up. Wasn't know. none of that, none of that back then. <laughs> none of that, and it had to be perfect. And then, you know, I, I come from an era where, you know, if I had to stand behind that mic for five, six hours, whatever it was, that's what I was going to do to get the record the way I wanted it. Because I know once it's released, I got to hear that for the rest of my life. Mm. I don't want to be, you know, you know, squinching and, oh, I should yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to be sure. Okay. Yeah. So what, so what, you know, uh, with all that being said, what inspires you, man, to, to keep going on, to keep moving forward, to still be out there singing? What inspires you today in 2021 for Glenn Jones to get out on that stage whenever the opportunity presents itself and still bring it like it's 1978, like it's 1983 or 80, whatever? Hey, look, one thing that inspires me are those bills that still come <laughs> You better get out there on that stage. I know that's right. I know that's right, Hey, look, it's like you gotta have passion for something. You gotta have a reason to get up every day. You mm. know that if that's what defines you, that's what defines me. This is what I am, what I've always been. Mm. So in order for me to still feel like I'm Glenn Jones, I got doing what I do. You know, so do you like you think back 40, 50 years, you know, from from now, not from now yeah. in the past. Did you ever think like, man, I would still be doing like I wanted to do this. Yeah, but I, I'm still here. Did you ever think like this would be your dream would, would, would be a reality? Uh, yeah, I thought it would be. You know, <laughs> no, really, I, I you say that really confidently. Man. I got a. Yeah. Hey, brother. <laughs> I, I, I thought it, and I knew it was possible because of uh, my past, you know, like growing up in gospel yeah. and uh, seeing so many great artists that uh, on in their years, they could still do it. They could, you right. know, this one cat, Joe Lagan from the Mighty Clouds of Joy. Mm -hmm. it, was crazy. Him. it was crazy how high and strong his voice was. And he was 80 years old, man. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, so uh, Rance Allen, man, man. <clears throat> big fan of Rance. You know, I learned a lot of stuff from Rance, man. Um, that's another guy, another brother that never got his props, you know, got his props. He, didn't, yeah. he didn't get his props, you know, yeah. he was well respected. Don't get me wrong. And he made a good living, you know, the people loved him all over the world. But when Rance came, man, it was like, it was like a, a yeah, it was a hurricane because you had never heard nobody like this dude. Man. He, he get them 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 albums that he recorded on Stax Records. Oh Whoa. man, singing on the yeah. high notes and riffing and stuff, man. So, yeah, you know, I, I I believe that I was gonna have you know some longevity, you know, and that's one of the main reasons why, you know, I always tried to keep 
you know, a certain level, you know, and keep my thing happening because yeah. to me, that's the only way you can have longevity. You know, I didn't want to be no fly by night. No doubt. Yeah, you know. Did your, you know, did did your parents, you know, your mom in particular, did she, how did she ever feel, you know, when you did, when you said, man, you know what, I'm, I'm about to do, I'm about to do R&B. Like, I, I, hey, mama, I love you, but, but mama, I, this, this was about to pay the bills. What, what was her, how did she feel about that growing up a Pentecostal seven-day at Venice? Well, she, uh, she heard a couple of things that I recorded and she never, you know, she never, uh, was disappointed or never talked against me. She said, my son sings love songs. No doubt. And if you listen to my records, you know, you listen to my catalog, mm -hmm. that, that's what it is. No doubt. You know, it's love songs. I can you play your music with my children. And yeah, that's I, what I, I don't have to turn it off. Like you can, it's, it's, it's adult music, but I can still play it around my kids. Right, and then I can go, I can go to church on Sunday morning and stand up and get the mic and sing and ain't nobody tripping and that's the thing it's like uh early on you know uh church people needed to be uh they needed to grow up they needed to be educated right because they weren't you know because they criticized everything you did and as the years passed i can't tell you how many churches have hired me <laughs> to come and perform and i'm talking about uh you know when they would say look we don't want no we don't want no near the cross. We want some Glenn Jones. Up yeah, in yeah, yeah. Pastor told me, he said, look, he said, you know, I was out in the world. He said, but when I, you know, when I came into the church, he said, I didn't, I didn't want to believe that that was the last time I was going to get a chance to dance with my wife. Okay. Mm -hmm. when we had the, And when we had the house, we ain't putting on under the grouse now. We want to put on some randos. Done, you know, like concerts and parties yeah. at churches, man. You know, it's been great, you know. So uh, I finally got to the point in my life where, you know, I didn't have to distance myself because I felt like the church would look at me in a certain light. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That was good to me because my first years, my first few years in R&B, you know, I, I felt a certain way, you know, because, you know, I used to have people come to me and say, you know, you singing that, uh, they used to call it rock and roll sometimes. Mm -hmm. say, you know, you ain't. You know, you ain't scared. You know, you be on them planes. You ain't scared the plane gonna crash. You know what happened to Otis Redding, and you going to hell and all that kind of old crazy stuff, man. Damn. Yeah, yeah, I, I dealt with that. But now you know, you know, like I said, doing the type of music that you do, I always felt like you know, you know, you 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 have a you you have a clean conscience. You I got a purpose. You have a you have a purpose. And like you mentioned earlier, man, you can go up in church with a clean conscience, man, because you yeah. ain't singing about taking Glenn Jones ain't singing about taking no white girl. Yeah. He ain't, ain't, ain't singing about uh getting high and getting drunk and all this, you know, this stuff yeah. that, you know, a lot of the themes that's popular in, in rhythm and blues, man. So I always applauded you for that. Yeah, yeah, that was purposely. No yeah. doubt. No doubt. Well, look, uh look, Glenn, Mr. Jones. Yeah. It's been an honor having you here on the Bridging and Generation podcast, brother. Before we go, man, like what you want your legacy to be, man? I want to know what does Glenn Jones want his legacy to be? I want uh, my legacy to be that um, I was grateful for the opportunity that I was given, the mm -hmm. talent that I was given. Mm -hmm. I love music. I love people. Mm -hmm. And whenever I can do something that 
will encourage somebody or help them. That's what I want to do. That's me. That's that's who I am. And I'm just a regular. I'm a regular cat, man. Everyday cat. I'm a dude from 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 the south. Duval. Duval. Right. Duval. Hey, hey. Do they still got Regency Mall out there? Come on, man. They. I, I think Regency gone, man. Regency oh, was that was my Like, yeah, a good while ago. Everybody go to Orange Park now, man. See, I ain't been down Jacksonville since, like, when I was in the military back in 2003. I used to hit a Regency Mall. Yeah. That was station. You, uh, you ever go to Jim's place? Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You used to go to Jim's place, Neptune Beach, and all that. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, man. I, I, I miss it, man. My, um, my kid's mother, she lives in Jacksonville as we speak. Okay. okay. As we speak. So, you know, I yeah. got, a little, got a little connection with Jacksonville. So, look. It's been an honor having you all here, uh, uh, Glenn Jones, the legend. You know, it's, it's been a pleasure. I'm a lock, Arif. Again, Glenn Jones, You we signing out, man. Y'all take care. Have a good night, Mr. Mr. Jones. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, brother. Thank you, man.